This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore, in for Sasha Ann Simons. Finding and keeping a job in housing after being released from jail or prison can be difficult to navigate. And experts say not having support through this process can lead to recidivism. To address this and fast-track housing and employment options for people who are released, the city announced Spring Forward. It's a collaboration between the Department of Family Support Services and community groups. The program aims to provide comprehensive support to people throughout every stage of finding a job and somewhere to live. Here to tell us more about it is Brandy Kanazi, Commissioner at the Department of Family Support Services. Hi, Commissioner, and welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Matthew McFarland, Vice President of Procedural Justice and Residential Workforce Development at Lawndale Christian Legal Center, one of the Spring Forward Community Partners. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks, Natalie. It's good to be here. And we also have Joel Pomerick, Chief Financial Officer with the CARA Collective that provides employment, training, and placement. Hi, Joel. Good morning, Natalie. Thank you. Commissioner, what are you aiming to do with Spring Forward? Spring Forward is really a collaborative program that we came up with through a number of community stakeholder meetings with people with lived experiences, our partners in the mayor's office, and our community partners. The goal is really to make sure that we start working with individuals pre-release from the carceral system to make sure that they're able to not only find gainful employment post-release, but also housing. We know that when individuals don't have a stable place to live, um, they can return to um, the life they were living um, that got them in jail, or they can have trouble um, just trying to navigate their life. And so the goal is really to put people on a path to success, to give them hope and dignity, and allow them to make a living wage so that they can support themselves and their families. What are you doing differently in this program when it comes to how housing is funded? This is so unique, and it's really great to be able to pilot this program. So we're using about $9 million in our American Recovery Program funds. That's COVID relief money. COVID relief money, thank you. And that's allowed us to really think outside the box. Our traditional funding really prioritizes families, those who are unsheltered, living on the streets, and individuals who have had chronic homelessness. A lot of times people who are coming from the carceral system, they haven't been homeless and unsheltered for a long enough time to qualify for housing. And so this allows us to really fast track and pair workforce employment services with housing navigation. And so it's important because a lot of people have a hard time getting housing when people, when landlords find out that they have a background. And this program means that the landlords are being paid directly. The landlords are being paid correct um, directly. So LCLC, Londo Christian Legal Center, is our housing navigation partner in this program. And they're really walking with the individuals to make sure that they can fill out an application. A lot of people don't know how to do that. They, it helps pay their security deposits, fine furniture, all of the things that you and I do when we're looking for an apartment or a place to live. They have someone who's able to do that with them and also help individuals navigate um, issues that they have with the landlord that may be um, intimidating at first if you really haven't had to do that in the past. How do you get landlords on board? You know, it's... No, let's say this. Individuals who are returning from the carceral system are no different than you and I. Everyone d- deserves a place to live. Housing first matters. I think it's important that landlords know that they're going to be able to get paid. This program provides housing support for up to one year. And so knowing that a person, you know, they've served their time, that they're going to be a good tenant and that individuals will be paid. I think that really helps incentivize landlords to know that if a person has a job, they're going to be able to pay their rent and take care of their property just as any individual would. 
but it hasn't been hard to, I mean, there's so many, it's such a barrier to find housing when you're low income, if you have Section 8, and even though this is, you know, guaranteed money, um, I would just love to hear more about those recruitment efforts. You know, I'm going to let Matthew talk about that, but okay. I'll say that a lot of times it's a lot about education and education of the landlords for any individual. You know, what we are being able to prove is that individuals who have served their time, they really are able to make a difference. And when you think about fair housing, we are not discriminating against people. And so it's educating landlords about who is eligible to participate in the program. And Matthew, I just want to let you talk about some of the experiences you've had with getting people housed. Yeah, I mean, this is a population that has been historically marginalized. um, And landlords, property owners are sometimes very hesitant to rent to this population. Um, but it is, as Commissioner Kanazi said, about educating them that they're people just like you, me, or anybody else. Um, but I think one of the things that incentivizes it is the rent, is they know that the money, the income is guaranteed, we're paying them directly. Um, and the second thing is the supports that come along with that, right? Um, they don't typically, you know, when they're renting to the general public, don't have people that are coming in with this all these wraparound supports like job training, case management, drug treatment, mental health treatment, whatever you know a client may need. Um, and we do that, right? And we also provide um, an opportunity for the landlord to have an additional contact. So if there's problems, mm-hmm. you know, at the unit or with the client themselves, um, they can reach out to us as well, right? And we can kind of help mitigate some of those circumstances. Matthew, talk about how essential housing is to people transitioning to life back on the outside. Sure. I mean, it is the bedrock foundation, right, um, by which all these other social determinants of health can operate. Um, as you can imagine, if you you can't get a job, right, you can't go to an interview if you're you know sleeping in a tent outside, right, if you're lucky enough to even have a tent. Um, And so, you know, people need a warm, safe place to lay their head at night um, so that they can get up and engage in programming, uh, like the programming at Car Collective, our partners, and and all those other things, right? Make doctor's appointments, you know, um, whatever whatever else they, you know, they want to do. The other thing I I would want to point out, too, right, is that, you know, I think there's been a shift um, in conversations and people are starting to realize that that housing this population is also about community safety, right? Um, we're so grateful that we have a mayor and a commissioner that, that understand the importance of public safety and how housing people, a vulnerable population such as the ones coming out of incarceration, um, is actually increasing public safety by getting them off the street into a safe environment where they can engage in these other supportive services that steer them away from the criminal legal system. Joel Springford is working with people before they're released from the Illinois Department of Corrections. Um, how does that work? <laughs> That's correct. Our, our recruitment and admissions team are getting opportunities to enter the jails and to meet with people who are um, going to be released from incarceration within the coming month. That's happening both with Illinois Department of Corrections and the Cook County Department of Corrections. We're really excited about that, energized about the opportunity to, to meet with people Uh, before they get released so that they've got their path set as they come out. We we believe it helps relieve anxiety and concern, gives people a clear uh, navigational path toward our workforce development programs, uh, which are, you know, Matthew was talking about the Bedrock Foundation of Housing. Uh, We're excited that with that Bedrock Foundation in place for many of these participants, 
we're able to engage in the workforce development aspect that's been Kara's uh, you know, bread and butter for more than 30 years. Is it typical to work with individuals before they come out of prison like this? Uh, no, that is, that is a, a new aspect of this grant for us. Matthew, I see you nodding. You have thoughts on that? Well, it, it should be, uh, always should have been really about the inReach, right, that the Car Collective sure. is doing now. Um, you know, people don't have these challenges when they walk through the gates, right, of Division Five, or when they're leaving, you know, an institution from IDOC. They have them way before they ever went in, right? Um, one might argue that, you know, that is the reason they got involved in the criminal legal system in the first place. Look, I'm, you know, I'm somebody um, who's been in and out, cycled in and out of the criminal legal system for uh, most of my adult life, right? It was just in, in and out. It was a revolving door. And it wasn't until I got an off-ramp, which for me would, was drug court offered through the Circuit Court of Cook County, where I was able to get treatment and services in the community, like mm -hmm. Cara Collective, like Lawndale Christian Legal Center, um, where I was able to address those core reasons that kept me going in and out, in and out. And those services started actually in the jail where people came in and talked to me. So this grant is actually, is, is really hitting the sweet spot, which is about that inReach going into the institutions and talking to people. Has your experience helped shape how this program looks like? Have you said, you know what, we need to do it this way if we want to be effective? It does. Um, it, it certainly helps to inform my leadership of my team. Uh, but probably one of the best things about this is it's a pilot and working with DFSS, you know, under Commissioner Kanazi's leadership. Um, it's been a learning process, right? We've we've all been learning together, the CARA Collective, you know, DFSS in the city and Londo Christian Legal Center. You know, we this is the first of its kind, right? This is the first time anyone's really doing something like this at this scale. And and so it's great to learn and brainstorm together. And, the, you know, the partnership's been wonderful for that. Joel, tell us how CARA works. Uh, we have a, a job training program. That's the uh, first step in our process. Uh, so participants come through that program. And again, we've been doing this for more than 30 years in Chicago, uh, working with people from communities that often have the highest rates of unemployment and poverty. Um, and so folks come into our programs. We have social emotional aspects to our training program, job readiness aspects, uh, all sorts of supportive services. Um, Beyond our training program, we then have transitional job opportunities. So we have two social enterprises that are part of CARA Collective. CARA Connects is our mission-driven staffing firm. And then we have Clean Slate, which is an exterior uh, maintenance organization. We're able to provide about 600 jobs annually on a transitional basis to our participants. They're able to get on-the-job training that's paid at Chicago's minimum wage. And, uh, and all sorts of other wraparound supports during that time as they're working on and as we're working with them on their path to their more permanent employment opportunities. How do you work to make sure that people are doing work that they find fulfilling and that also provides a path for them that's not just, um, you know, minimum or just a little bit above minimum wage? For sure, Natalie. I'm so glad you asked. That's a really key part of our programs is working with participants to understand what work they want. What These are job seekers who know what's best for them, who know what, what type of work they want to be doing. And so we work with them very closely. We have a wide uh, array of employment partners on the other end, so that if, you know, depending on what, what 
job field someone is most interested in, we feel that we can point them toward and work with employment partners on the other side to help, uh, help them find that. Matthew, how many people have been placed in housing so far? Well, we got our first client, our first referral um, in towards the middle of September. Uh, to date, we've had 19 client referrals, and you know the, the floodgates are just starting to open up here um, as the Cara Collective starts to do you know the intakes and bring them on and identify housing as a primary need. They're referring in to us. Um, we've housed three clients already since uh, Friday. Um, one client is currently in the viewing process and we're just waiting for the landlord's reply. And 15 others are actually right now working to identify a matching unit. We have housing navigators that are out there um, building housing inventory and signing up landlord, landlords who um, want to be a part of this program. Um, and so as we build that inventory, we're able to present more options to people. Um, typically, a client would see about three housing options um, that they could choose from. In addition to that, you know, a lot of times, as we all know, um, our clients, right, our participants, are their their biggest advocates, right? Sometimes they know um, of a unit or a landlord or somebody who's willing to rent to them, um, but they just don't have the funding. And so we're able to connect to those individuals as well through the clients' partnerships or or friendships and, and sign those folks up as well. So, The data shows that people end up returning to the same zip codes once they're out of prison and what that means for those communities um, and sometimes that can contribute to recidivism. Do you all think about placement uh, or is it really driven by where people want to live? Because of course these communities have their connections but it also could be a source of um, you know falling back into old habits or being exposed to you know, you know, elements of, you know, people that they might have um, been committing crimes with. Yeah. Same same street corner type thing. Yeah. I think one thing that we really focus on is giving people choice. A lot of times we make poor people um, go into specific neighborhoods. We make them eat certain foods. And as government, we take away their right to choose. And part of this is about empowering individuals when they come out of the carceral system so that they can make better decisions. A core tenant of the program is having a navigator, and that navigator is their coach. It's their peer, right? It's someone who may have experienced and come through the same life that they have and said, here's how you can be different and be better. And so having that one-on-one navigator and that coach is really important about saying, if you go back to a particular neighborhood, here are things that could happen, right? So how do we be careful? How do we sidestep some things that could take place? But also, here's what possibility looks like. And I think when you think of what we've seen during COVID is that the need is great that people have really suffered and so their mental health has suffered and we must really think about how we can bring the resources of Kira and Londell Christian Legal Center and all of the other wraparound supports that we have at DFSS so people can make better choices and know that they are not confined to live in a particular box and that the world is much bigger than what they've experienced to date and I think giving people not just you know minimum wage but a living wage helps you helps us do that and show what possibility looks like. Commissioner, in the city budget that passed yesterday, we just heard from WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg about money being set aside for the Office of New Entry. How will Spring work with that office? That new office is being established by the mayor's office, and it will help coordinate 
and collaborate services across city departments and sister agencies. And so as a city department, we look forward to working with that team to really think about how do we leverage and springboard the work that we're doing here. We have five community reentry support centers across DFSS in the city. People can go to our website to learn more about those centers. And so it's really just enhancing and building upon the work that's taking place. I would like to ask each of you, what challenges have arisen so far with this program that maybe you didn't anticipate, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, well, for one is, you know, we, with as with any pilot, you know, you plan and you, you say, okay, this is how it's going to work. And we're going to, you know, refer, Cara's going to do the recruiting and we're going to, they'll identify housing needs and then refer them to us. And you know, what we learned is sometimes that there's the very real need to put housing absolutely first, right? Um, and with, again, you know, it being the, that bedrock foundation, as I refer to it as, you know, some people, sometimes people aren't, they just don't have the ability to engage in workforce development services because they don't have a safe place to stay, right? And so, you know, trying to figure that out, you know, um, addition, in addition to that, I would say what we're learning is that there's other complications, right, um, that people are having when they're coming out of incarceration, their mental health, right, being one of them. Um, they could be substance abuse issues. You know, all these comorbidities, as they refer to them, um, and co-occurring disorders that someone might have, in addition to being actually homeless, right? And so identifying the proper supports and, and providing those supports to people so that they can engage in treatment options for those things um, while providing that stable housing, right, a safe place to lay their head and, you know, having a partner with like Car Collective and, and DFSS, it's really so collaborative. It's, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, how this is, seems to be so much different than, you know, prior uh, grants and things like that. This is a truly collaborative partnership where we're walking together and we're learning together um, and being flexible together. And, and as that happens, you know, um, we're making adjustments. So. And if you just in like five seconds. <laughs> the data, I would say the data collection and realizing everything is not going to be perfect and to Matthew's point about just being able to think outside the box. And so we've really put a team together to make sure the program is successful. Since we have flexible funding, most of our grants don't. And so this gives us an opportunity to deal with something is outside of our box of how do we handle and keep people within the program and keep them safe. And I would say we're, we're looking for more and more employers and hiring managers who are open to hiring overlooked talent with a criminal background. That's Brandy Kanazi, Commissioner of the Department of Family Support Services, Matthew McFarland with Lawndale Christian Legal Center, and Joel Pomerink with CARA Collective. Thank you all for being here. And again, if you want to be a part of that Spring Forward program, the hotline is 312-798-3310.